hello. Your QL fandom uncle and auntie are here with giant sunglasses, brown liquor in a flask, a folded $5 bill to slip into your hand when nobody's looking, lukewarm takes, occasional rides on the discourse, deep dives into artistry and industry, and most importantly, simping. Lots of simping. I'm Ben. I'm Nini. And this is The Conversation. About once a season, we plan to swan in and shoot the shit on faves, flops, and trends that we've been noticing in the BL, GL, or QL industry. Between seasons, you can find us typing way too many words on Tumblr. definitely not making it into the show (laughs) (laughs) we're off to a great start off to a fantastic start okay we are back welcome back to the conversation and this is our spring series we have retooled the show a little bit i think y'all are gonna like what we came up with we were well fed this winter and we have a lot to talk about and we're really excited to get into it I'm very excited for us to be back together. Yes. We basically have not actually spoken like this since we stopped doing the last show because we were in the midst of this incredible season and we just haven't spoken to each other because we didn't want to waste any of our energy before coming back to the show. So I'm finally glad we're back together for this. There's things that I definitely want to say to Ben that I've been holding on to that I'm just like, oh, God, I just want to see what he's Not says all of them are what I expect, I'm sure, because she's been like, hmm, we'll talk about that later. Let's dive right in. So this is our High School Heartthrobs episode. We're going to talk about two shows that really took on high school romance in two wildly differing ways. My School President and Never Let Me Go. Ben, just quick thoughts. How do you feel about each of these shows? One sentence. Never Let Me Go was a very interesting attempt from JoJo to modernize the types of Thai dramas that he grew up on and really loved. And while I appreciate the efforts that he went through, I don't think the individual pieces of the show come together in a way that I think is overall very satisfying. My one sentence on it, JoJo is experimenting it doesn't all work. As for my school president, my school president is the new default recommended Thai BL for anybody coming from the West who doesn't know what to do them with themselves after finishing something like Young Royals or Heartstopper. It manages to recapture everything that we loved about early high school Thai BL while also making amends for some of the big missteps that Thai BL made between 2014 and about 2019-20 into something that really transcends the genre itself and brings BL closer to global queer cinema. I love your sentences. They make me feel like I am being intellectual, having intellectual (laughs) with intellectual. We're going to do brunch one of these days, y'all. We're going to record at a brunch. Oh my God. I don't think they're ready for that. I don't (laughs) think they're ready for that. Okay, my one sentence take on my school president, perfect high school romance. With that said, let's dive right in. But I'm going to start with what I had more notes on. Let's say that. So for me, that's going to be Never Let Me Go. 
Never Let Me Go is a bodyguard drama, Lacan style BL from Jojo Tichakorn. It tells the story of Nung Diao, who is the only son and heir of a very wealthy family, which we're not really sure whether they're strictly legit or not. There is definitely legit business in there, but there are hints that there's some not legit business in there as well. It tells the story of him and this kid who is his family's right-hand man's son, who is named Palm. It is interesting what Jojo tried to do here. I don't think he was entirely successful. I was Um, really interested in the original conceit. We have a really rich kid who's kind of being bullied in high school because even if he's rich, he's just kind of weird and goofy and everybody wants to get shit from him. On his birthday, his dad gets killed, Bruce Wayne dad style, in an alley in the rain. And then they assign a new boy to help protect him. And then we get into the drama of how do we manage the bodyguard relationship at school and in public? How do we deal with the class divide there? Because Nung Diao is very gay and very interested in Palm from the jump. And then that transitions into more of the mafia stuff with them having to go on the run and maybe accepting where they are in their lives. That's the part where I think it gets a little weak. The initial push for the high school stuff, I think, worked really well. The individual pieces for me and Never Let Me Go are all fine. It's the juggling of the sort of wider plot that I think is not the strongest suit for this particular team. This is what I mean about this being a very experimental piece for Jojo, because this is Jojo's, not just his first BL, but his first romance period. I always say that Jojo is a director who is very romantic, but he is not a romance director. And the way that that manifests in this story, I feel like because he knows that he's working in BL, he's trying really hard to fit his story into a certain idea of what BL should be. And I am not sure that that works for him. Like, I think we I felt think, that the strongest with the Chopper Ben plotline. Oh, what I expected out of Jojo was real balls to the wall kind of stuff. I expected him to go gonzo. I expected him to take this thing, turn the dial up to 15. The mafia stuff, if it even is mafia stuff, because it's never really, it never really comes across as mafia stuff. It comes across like a family squabble. That stuff is just really tepid. It's very tame. It doesn't give me like a sense of weight or emotion or danger. It's just kind of happening. I, I think that's the Ken Porsche problem hovering over this show. I thought about that. I thought about whether I was letting, having seen Ken Porsche color what I was looking at and never let me go. I really had to examine myself on that. And I don't think I was because I had already acknowledged that the show was going to be vastly different. But what I think that I wanted to see, and this is so rough for me to get out in this way because I like to meet shows where they are. I don't like to put my expectations on the show and then diss it for not meeting my expectations. That's not how I like to critique. 
But in this case, I wanted more out of this. I feel like Jojo toned himself down. I feel like there are things that he wanted to say and he wanted to do. And then he got in his head and he's like, oh no, I can't do this. This is a BL. It has to follow specific beats and have specific ideas. And this other stuff is going to get in the way of it. And I just, I didn't want a BL BL. I wanted a Jojo BL. I wanted to go like far out, full on. I wanted tragedy. I wanted Southern Gothic. I wanted mustache twirling villains and like <laughs> melodrama i mean that was very much a mustache twirling villain yeah but i don't even even not he could have gone harder not went really hard don't get me wrong i do not have any complaints about either not or organ Rassi, who played anong diao's mom tanya i don't have any complaints about their performances whatsoever i think it's the show around them that is not letting them really sink their teeth into the meatiness of what really should be this terrifying ordeal this experience this i mean nat's character kit is a murderer, not just a murderer, filial. He killed his own brother. That is huge. That should weigh more than it does in the story. And it, it feels like something that's tossed off, almost. I think that's the struggle I had. The only two characters who felt properly grounded in the story, three, were Nung Diao, Tanya, and Kit. And maybe whatever Pawan's character's name was. Yeah, that's cool. I struggled with everyone else because I feel like their core character motivations aren't complete by the time they start working on this. We don't really understand what Chopper's desires are. His desire to not participate is actually kind of philosophically interesting, but I'm not entirely certain that they knew what they wanted to do with it other than to put Perth in those shoes. I think the Ben character ends up being kind of weak the high school portion of him is interesting but then they don't know what to do with him once we go on the run this most plagues i think palm for me more than anyone else i went into this show as not a fan of pond because i did not like the character he played on fish upon the sky and i don't think his performance helped that character however Han seems really, really sweet and genuinely diligent about doing the work and trying to become a better actor. And I have enjoyed him in both Dirty Laundry and this show now, Never Let Me Go. But I don't think I ever really understood why Palm was so willing to work for Nung Diao. And that's one of the Ken Porsche issues that I think this show has. Porsche's initial resistance to being a bodyguard is played out in a really satisfying way in that particular show. There's so much restraint in Pond's performance in the early episodes that his character becomes kind of enigmatic in a way that I don't think is helpful when we have a romantic show evolving in front of us because we need to understand what Pond's internal motivations are. What is he struggling with? Is he struggling with the class part of Suddenly he's hanging out around all of this wealth and his life is suddenly more comfortable. And also the guy he's supposed to protect is pretty hot and clearly eyeing him. We don't really get a sense of how Palm is coping with the constant changes in his life or what he really wants out of it. 
he just stresses constantly that he's devoted to Nung Diao. And that makes him kind of a forgettable character for me when we walk away from the show about six to 12 months from now. There were moments and ideas that were briefly explored, especially in the early episodes. I have to say, having watched the whole thing, I feel like the front half of it is better than the back half. The first six episodes, although they're not perfect by any means. I feel like they had a stronger grasp on both the story and the characters, as well as the things that the show wanted to say. So there were things I think that maybe Jojo wanted to say about class and class boundaries and who maintains them and how they get maintained that came across, for example, really well in episode two. That's true. Um, That was really strong in the early part of the show. Yeah, the first six episodes, as strained as it was, it's better. It seems like at the end of episode six, all the tension sort of let out of the story, which doesn't make any sense because that's when the tension in the story should be ratcheting up. So in the first six episodes, we see Peepop's death. We see the consequences and outcome of Peepop being murdered in terms of how that affects Nung Diao, how it affects his mother Tanya, how it affects his uncle Kit, and then how it brings Palm into the story. And then Palm dealing with this thing, because Palm is this kid, 18-year-old kid from a fishing village. He's lived in a fishing village all his life. And all of a sudden his dad basically grabs him up and says, right, you're going to go work for my boss in Bangkok. And all of a sudden you're being a bodyguard for this other kid that you just met and maybe have a little bit of a crush on. Like you said, Palm is so enigmatic in the front half of the series. How we got where we got with Palm's feelings, I don't get it exactly. It feels like reluctance, but then later on you're told, well, it was this instantaneous bolt from the blue. He fell in love with him immediately. And I'm like, I didn't really get that. Palm is the protagonist of a talking head song. (laughs) Oh my God. Now you're making me feel really old. Listen, pause us, go and search talking heads, listen to a couple of songs and then come back. So the front half of the show where Palm is settling into Bangkok, he's settling into this life adjacent to wealth and power through going to this international school taking classes that he would have never taken before. So he has to catch up on three years of And I really wish some of the stuff he'd learned there would have mattered later. But I guess that's not what they really wanted to focus on. Maybe that's part of the point. Like that shit doesn't matter for people like Palm. But then why give us the... We got some scenes, and again, in those early episodes, I believe these scenes were in episode two. This is the first time that Palm goes to school with Nung Liao and he doesn't technically go to school with him because Nung Diao is chauffeured to school by Palm's dad while Palm has to take a long walk to the bus and you see that entire journey and that sequence of Palm getting to school is so interesting in terms of the things that I feel like Jojo wanted to say about class I feel like there were some interesting things in there and then when he gets to school who befriends him is this kid called Aun. Basically, he this kid gloms onto him and is like, oh, you seem like a kid who wants to make some money. <laughs> it's so obvious <laughs> that 
You look Tom great. Comes to hang out with us. Yeah. <laughs> it's so obvious that Tom is completely out of his depth in this world, even to the kids at the school. And I feel like that fish out of waterness, the way that Tom interacts with Nungdiao and Tanya, the whole thing with the swimming pool where he sneaks I did enjoy all them. of the bits about Nungdiao learning to manipulate people to get what yeah. he wants. That was interesting. So, all this stuff is happening in the front half of the show. And this is why I stuck with the show because it felt like another stab at not me from a different direction. I agree. In the first from half of the a show. A higher class was, section, yeah. Yes, from the first half of the show. And I was really responding to that. But even in the first half of the show, I was iffy on the pacing of the romance, but I was more willing to let it go because of all the other things that were sort of happening around it. And I figured, okay, well, the balance is a little off, but I'm sure that they're going to rectify that. And then all the air fizzles out in the second half of the show. I remember writing at the time when I was watching maybe episode 10 or 11. It was 11 that you didn't want to write about. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't want to write about it because I felt like, what am I going to say about this? Everything that feels like it should have emotional heft in the back half of the show just doesn't land for me. Nung and Palm, they've run away because Nung's house has been attacked and Palm has to protect him. So they've run away to the south of Thailand to stay with Palm's mom, who he hasn't seen Probably since he was a kid. Like, how young would he have been when his mother left? He feels like pre-K about it. Even that, he's now forced to not just cohabitate, but live, if you understand the difference between the two terms, with a mother who essentially abandoned him. And there's no way to... What does he even think about it? Is it just that he's blithely going along? This is not a thing that bothers him. Yeah, they have a couple of conversations, but they don't hit. I don't feel it. Never Let Me Go wants to be very serious. And I just don't know that JoJo was dialed in to whatever the eventual focus they decided to make it about was. And I don't think it all works out. Let's take some positives from this because this wasn't our favorite show. But I do think... There are some really good things that happen in this that are worth mentioning for the future. Yes, I agree. We wanted to talk about, for each show that we we are discussing, our top episode, our top scene, and our MVPs. So for Never Let Me Go, I have to say I chose as my top episode, the pilot episode, episode one. I think that that episode was really tight. I think that it was focused. I think that from a storytelling perspective, I understood where the show wanted to go. I think it was a really good episode. So that was my top episode. How about you? I really liked episode 10, mostly because I'm a fan of Puin. And I think that when they let him be really expressive, he's so much fun to watch. And I really liked the self-destructive ache that he carried through all of episode 10. Like I just loved him walking around just being an absolute bitch to everyone who had pissed him off in the early half of the show. And then going home to cry alone on Palm's old bed. I just love that so much. Like I'm like, that's right. Make this character suffer just enough to get us to the next 
big movement. And it was so much fun to watch for me. I like when Poen is forced to cry. I think he's a really solid crier for GMMTV because he's kind of messy about it. But his face is very pretty. I think that the way that Poon plays Nungdiao's rage, because it's so palpable. Good. It's palpable and it's there underneath everything else that he's doing. So even when he's sad, he's angry. Even when he's happy, he's angry. It's this weird kind of, well, not weird, but it's this 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 rage simmering underneath that everything that Nungdiao does. And I think that Puin plays that incredibly effectively. It's actually one of the secret constants of all of his characters is all of them have a little bit of a temper seething there. Whenever you see Puin behind the scenes or in interviews, he's really composed and he seems genuinely really sweet. So I really love that he has outlets for some of that because when he has to play it, I don't know where he goes, but his characters have huge emotions inside of them. And now on to top scenes. And for me, at first it was a tie between that sequence of Palm going to school for the first time, walking to the bus stop and then taking the bus. And Palm grieving his mom's death, getting drunk in the hotel room with Nungdiao and everything that happens there with him crying in the bath and then his whole bender where he dances with Nungdiao and he kisses Nungdiao and there's all this churn happening in the scene. And so I had to sort of fight in my head between those two scenes and I came down on the hotel room scene because it was just perfect. It's really good. The camera work was perfect. Pon's acting in that scene is probably the strongest he did in the entire show. And I'm not here to knock Pon's acting because I too was a little worried about him when they announced that he was going to be one of the leads of the show. I was like, "Mm, I don't know if this is going to tap into his strong suit. I have to say that I was impressed with him. He still struggled, but there are moments where he's almost transcendent. And this scene was one of them. So that's why it's my top scene. My top scene, oh, is it episode eight or nine? The one where the local crime dudes kidnap ma'am and demand money, and Dung Diao brings in the money and absolutely punks those guys and then walks out with ma'am. I really liked it because that felt like it tied back into some of the earlier themes about how Nung Diao has to rise to his own name, which is only one and take on this mantle that's left behind by his dad. And I really loved the idea of him doing that for someone he cared about, not just because he felt the sense of onus to his dad or his mom. He stepped into the role that was being prepared for him to take care of his boyfriend and his future mother-in-law. And I really liked how powerful Puin felt in that moment. He feels so huge in that moment, and it really worked for me. It's a moment where you remember in the middle of all this soft shit that's happening in this part of the story, you remember that Nung Diao is actually ice cold. Nung Diao has watched his father shot to death in front of him. Nung Diao has watched his mother get shot in front of him. Nung Diao is absolutely ice cold. And when he goes into that scene and he faces down the local crime lord, 
for mom, who is Pam's mom, to save her. And this guy puts a gun in his face and he just smirks. And I was just like, all right, yes, this is what I wanted to see more of. I wanted to see more of everything that happened to him actually affecting him in this particular way where the blood in his veins just turned to ice. The way he is in that scene versus some of the other scenes and even that same episode, Night and Day, I did like that. I will also say that I absolutely understood the Pond and Poohin pairing by the time the show ended. For all the qualms that we've voiced on this particular episode, I totally got it once the two of them were working together. Because they don't work together enough in Fish Upon the Sky for you to really believe in it. Because they put all these artificial barriers between them. But Poohin pulls Pond a lot of the time in this and brings out the talent that they clearly saw in Pond. It's so fun. Like when the two of them are dialed into a scene, they are some of the best scenes in the show. I really liked the dynamic between the two of them. Also, props to both of them for kissing like they mean it, because they were just about a half step or two back from some of the believable chemistry we get out of the boys from Taiwan sometimes. And I was really here for it. I'm going to disagree with you slightly here. I think yeah. that Pond and Puin do have great chemistry. I agree with that. I am not sure that I necessarily buy it as romantic chemistry, although there are moments, like again, that scene that I was talking about in the hotel room, that whole sequence in the hotel room, that's the reason I can't give up on this show. That's the reason I can't pan this show entirely. Because that height and then some of the other heights that the show reached, I'm more like, I'm so disappointed in you than I hate it. <laughs> you know what I mean? We were rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. <laughs> <laughs> and this is going to sound real terrible, but I'm just going to say it. Pond and Puin feel like virgins. They feel like people who have never been in love before and they are acting their way through it. And while, yes, acting through it is what you are supposed to do when you are an actor, I think that for these two, if they had a point of reference, perhaps I would feel it more when they try to come together and sell it to me. Okay. I don't know how you feel about that. I think that I will forgive a lot of that for earnestness. And that was 100% there. Again, I've been in these BL streets, in these trenches for so long. You was a shoot was... with me in the gym. I have to say that at least once a season. <laughs> so I vividly remember the era of the boys being so uncomfortable with on-screen intimacy of any sort, whether it was about kissing another boy or just kissing anyone at all, the two of them just go for it whenever the scene calls for it. And like, yeah, I see what you're talking about, about how this looks like they're figuring it out through the workshopping and the other work that they're doing as actors. But like, I don't doubt that they're trying to get us to where the characters are trying to get. And I don't feel like the two of them are holding back from what the scene is asking of them. And I really like that about them. I do agree. And that's what I mean about this whole show is like in individual scenes, the actors seem to understand what the goal of the scene was, even if all the scenes didn't necessarily hand over really. well. 
I do have to say the pacing and the balance are really the main bugbears that I have with the show. I think that the pacing and the balance undo a lot of the good work that's done in the acting and the cinematography. MVPs. My MVP actor for this show is Organ Rossi, who plays Tanya on Nungdiao's mom. And I chose Organ for her presence. You talked at the beginning of this part about how you feel like Tanya and Kit ground the show. And I have they to do. agree with you there. Organ Rossi puts weight into every scene that she has. And you get to a scene with her and you feel like, okay, this is serious. I need to pay attention. That's what she brings to the show. She brings a gravitas. And I really like that. So for me, that makes her my MVP actor. My MVP character for the show, as far as characters go, I have to give it to mom, who is Pam's mom. Because I think that she probably best embodies the themes that the show was trying to get at. The ideas of what is love, what are we willing to do for love, and what are we not willing to do for love. I feel like mom embodies that because it's very clear in the personage of mom that there were things that she was not willing to do for love, including for love of her child. Balancing that against what Chanon has been willing to do, who is Pam's dad, what Pam has been willing to do, what Nung Diao, Peepop, Tanya, what everybody in the show is willing to do for love. To have a character stand up and say, I wasn't willing to go there. The contrast that that forms with literally every other character in the show, it spoke to me. So I, for me, that made Mom the MVP character. For me... It's Pum. It's Powin's character. All of the great work in the first half, before we have to go on the run, his character ends up giving the audience the necessary tools to understand most of the troubling dynamics going on. Because he represents this bullying force that hovers over Nung Diao and all of the threats that complicate the early parts of the show. He's so fake with Nung Diao and is also the one bullying him and tries to beat the shit out of him and gets into a fight with Ben later on and is the reason why Ben and Nung Diao get outed. And then even towards the end, he comes back to secure it by having to make peace with Nung Diao because things blew up in his face. Like he actually needed Nung Diao's help towards the end over something genuine. Like his dad was the one being accused of ordering the hit on Nung Diao's family. And he genuinely needed Nung Diao's help. And he had to come back to him hat in hand and be like, I'm sorry I bullied the bejesus out of you for the last two years, but uh, can you help my dad not go to jail? Oh, Howen is so good in this show. Oh my goodness. I'm only saying this because you, you already took Morgan, but we need to praise my boy Powen. I did enjoy Powin's performance as Poom. He's such a little shit. I think a character like that was absolutely necessary for the show. You are correct. And Powin really put like whole pussy in. He did that. He just nails it. He fully understands what he needs to get done every single time he's on screen. He's such a clear character in this show. In the show that doesn't always have very clear characters. Every time he shows up, I'm like, oh, what's this little bitch about to do now? <laughs> There he is. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. Puma, you here being a little bitch again? Don't you have anything else to do? Right? Every 
time he shows up, I'm like, here we go. How would I love you? But here we go. <laughs> Best actor, though. I'm giving it to Nat because I will always give it to Nat. The older Nat gets, the more unhinged his characters get. And I love that for him. He had insane energy every time he interacted with any person in the show, especially Tanya. I'm like, that is your sister-in-law, sir. Can you not look at her with such ravenous desire? That is uncomfortable. He wanted to fuck her so bad and made him look stupid. It did. Oh, and I love that Nat's willing to look stupid with his characters. Oh, Nat, if you ever hear this, I love you, sir. I have always loved you. Please keep doing what you're doing. He's just so insane. And I love the way Nat plays with Perth in this because Perth is also really good. And I think he's not given a whole lot to work with in this particular script and he makes do with it. But every time he works with Nat, I'm like, I don't care what these two are saying. I just really like what they're doing together. When Chopper pulls the gun on Kit and Kit's like, what are you going to do? You're going to shoot me? And he I just said, went, you ain't hard. <laughs> He's like, I pissed you out. You ain't shit. Okay, just like, come here. What you gonna do? Nothing. And that's exactly what I thought. Nothing. (laughs) Go sit down. Mushes him in the face. (laughs) Oh, I love it. So yeah, there are things to enjoy in Never Let Me Go, most definitely. But when it comes right down to it, of all the things that I watched in the winter, it's not the worst thing I watched by any means, but it was oh, it's probably... definitely not the worst thing I watched. Oh no, oh no, oh no, 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 no. But it was probably But it was probably the most disappointing because I had the highest expectations for it of the things that I had issues with. I had the highest I think that's I told Ben before we started recording that I was going to make a meme that was that gif of the guy opening the beach chair with one hand to sit on the sidelines of the soccer game or whatever. And it was going to say, when the GMMTV BL takes more than a year to make. Because I feel like for GMMTV, at least from what we've seen the last few years, the longer the lead time on actually making some of these shows, the more time they have to really refine it and the bangers that we get out of that and one of those bangers this year was my school president perfection of a show i loved it unreservedly i had no notes ben tell us what my school president is about my school president is a show about a bunch of losers in high school figuring out how to take care of each other the show begins with Gun played by 4th Netawat, who is the newly selected president of the music club. He is inheriting the club from his seniors who failed at a really important annual competition last year because their former president and lead singer got too hot-headed and started a fight with someone. This has led to difficulties going into the school season because the former vice principal is now the principal. And she has a mandate to cut back on school extracurricular expenses. And she starts by wanting to cancel the music club and sell their instruments to pay back the damages that the club caused last year. However, her son 
who is a studious boy and very much a nerd, has been secretly in love with Gunn for two years. And it's really only a secret because he's so awkward that he can't ever really express it to Gunn because Gunn's an artist and his head is elsewhere. And the show becomes about Ten, with the help of his best friend Tucson, taking on the role of school president to ensure that Gunn's club is not canceled and eventually making sure that he wins this hot wave tournament so that the two of them can become boyfriends. And over the course of the show, we learn that the band, whose name is Chinchilla, are the kind of boys who just lose a lot. And Ten himself is kind of a loser. Like, he's a very smart student, and people genuinely seem to like him. But he seems like he's a little bit emotionally distant from folks and can't talk to the boy he likes. And so much of this show is about how to support people, even as things consistently go wrong. As I said before, my tagline for this was perfect high school romance. One of the things that I loved about this show is the conversation that it's having with BL as a whole with GMM TV BL in particular, and with high school romance BL. So one of the things that first hit me about the show when I watched the official trailer, because the pilot trailer, forget about that, that was worthless. But <laughs> one of these, I wasn't, I wasn't even planning to watch the show because of the pilot trailer. And then I happened to watch the official trailer. And I remember I said to Ben, I was like, this show looks really cute. I think I'm going to watch it. I really wish we had a recording of our initial conversation about this show because I was being so grumpy at the time. Nini was like, there's this new show coming out with some unknown actors from GMMTV. And I'm like, I'm not interested in children. No new friends. I saw it and I went evangelical. I was telling everybody, I was like, you know, the show looks really cute. I think you might want to try it. And just kind of going on and on and on. And... The thing I remember saying to Ben that got his attention was, this really looks like a new generation lovesick. Now, Ben and I are huge fans of lovesick. Lovesick is not anywhere close to perfect. Lovesick is an incredibly flawed show, but lovesick is still one of the best BLs and probably one of the best shows that I've watched for all its flaws because the emotional truth of Lovesick is so present in every frame. Lovesick is just a beautiful high school romance. It is messy as hell. But the chemistry, the feelings, the emotions, everything between the main characters who are pun unknown. And again, it's kind of similar to Gun and Tin in that one is on the student council and one is president of the music club. They do pay homage to Lovesick. They do pay homage to Lovesick so much with the show. And I remember saying to Ben, it really feels like a new gen Lovesick. And I think that might have been what got you to say, okay, I'm going to try it. So... This is a new gen lovesick. And then we're coming off now the hangover from Bad Buddy. And 
I'm seeing, okay, who's directing this? And it's O, who was the assistant director on Bad Buddy. He's been with Off for a long time. He's he's been with off for a long time and he's also been at various points part of the all right team and the all right team are the people who wrote bad buddy and a few other shows for jmmtv like theory of love which i don't like but people like i think the writing is good on theory of love i just don't like it (laughs) so i'm looking at the trailer i'm getting the lovesick vibes i watched the pre-air special So I'm starting to get the bad buddy feelings. And then we get into the first episode and there's music. Now, I generally dislike singing in BLs. In shows generally, and particularly in Thai BL, the singing, I have really bad font drum. I usually can't take it. I watched the first episode and I loved it unreservedly. I love the songs. I love the singing. I love everything about it. And it's starting to give me Glee feels. So Glee, the first half of the first season of Glee is one of the most perfect capsules of episodic television ever in my mind. So I'm getting my lovesick feels. I'm getting my bad buddy feels. I'm getting my Glee feels. I decide that I'm in this for the long haul. And rewarded completely for that faith. One of the things I love about My School President is that as a show, it is unfailingly kind. These kids, as Ben says, they're losers. But the show doesn't really treat them like losers. It treats them so kindly and gently and it shows how they're all just trying to be good to each other and they are friends and they love each other and they all want the best for each other and sometimes they fight and they're dumb as hell like oh my god these dummy boys i love them so much but the show has heart it has so much heart I feel like these bubbles inside when I watch it, when I talk about it, I just feel effervescent. I feel transported back in a way to some parts of my own high school life, which were really enjoyable. (laughs) Not all parts of my high school life, but some of the enjoyable parts. I was a refugee for part of high school. Not a great time. (laughs) No. Yeah. Yeah. That is fair. There are parts of my high school life that were kind of like this. There was just me and my friends doing a bunch of shit, sometimes getting in trouble, sometimes getting away with it. I did have a high school romance. It was not as nice as this one. (laughs) (laughs) It was not. But, you know, it, it took me back in a lot of ways, and I really enjoyed that. So I did not have the high school experience that Nini had. I think my high school experience is probably closer to something like the warp effect than it is (laughs) my school president. But what stands out for me with this show is how really tightly written and woven it was. The first episode of my school president is probably the single most perfect episode of a BL out of Thailand we've had ever. It gets the initial conceits done so well and is imme- and you, the audience is immediately rewarded for it in episode two when we shift perspectives to 10 and start reviewing some of the things that happened from his perspective. 
and I was locked in with this show after the first episode, and I was fully secured by episode two, and I was like, I'm going to stick with this show the whole way through. This show is full of constant standout performances, and I talk about the loser thing not as a negative. I think one of the difficulties with BL a lot of time is they're always using really charming, extremely attractive people. And my school president is no different because fourth, Gemini, Ford, Winnie, Satang, Prom, Mark, these boys are so pretty. But they often make BL protagonists really fantastic people, really souped up people. Even if they're not special at the beginning, there's some special thing about them that no one else has been noticing this whole time. And I like that. In my school president, Gun is just a boy who can sing a little bit that Ten loves with his whole heart. Like, even to the point that they go to JMMTV and try to get Gun a placement there. And they're like, well, he's not terrible, but he's not, we're picking this kid up in high school good. I like that the show continues to hand L's out to Gun over and over again. Because it's a it's a high school show about coming of age. And I think one of the unfortunate things you have to learn in high school is that you're going to get your ass kicked a lot by the world. And in, it isn't for lack of heart or lack of preparation or lack of gumption. You're just going to get your ass kicked a lot. And what matters is that when you get up, someone is also there who still gives a shit about you. And that's his mom and Ten. And the members of Chinchilla. And it's why I ended up being just so deeply enamored with this show. Early on in the show, you used, when you were doing your writings, I really love your writing, by the way. You all should read Nini's writing. Is you used Pink's song, Try, which I think encapsulates so much of the spirit of this show so well. I adore it so much. I also will quickly segue into talking about Ten a bit. I love this boy so much. One of my constant complaints about BL is that I just don't believe the boys are gay enough for me. And I like that Ten whines and gets legitimately irritated and frustrated, mostly privately, about not making progress with Gun. I love that Gemini plays 10 as just a messy, pathetic, sobbing high school boy because he can't talk to his crush. 10's such a drama llama, and I do love that about him. Like that scene where after he tries to shoot his shot with Gun and Gun kind of turns him down and he's wailing to Tucson on the phone so hard that Tucson can't even understand what he's saying. And he's, he's just like, kind nothing's of changed. himself <laughs> Throwing himself on the bed and dramatically crying and just like, oh my God, it's the end of the world. And that felt so teenage. It felt so perfect. You have the sense of Tina is just a kid who really likes this boy. and just He's just really a boy who likes another boy. And I really, just is. really love that about him. It's so delightful. He's not this unrealistic high school 
perfect prince. He is just a teenage messy boy who likes another boy and is going to cry to his best friend about it. And he has a knack for supporting people. I really like that they made the student council feel really valuable in the school situation. Like, what do attending these people do? Nothing specific, but they're the people who do the boring shit, who keep the lights on, who make sure that there's enough food ordered, who make sure that people agree to volunteer to help clean up after an event. And, like, those people don't get enough credit except when they become, like, the chief of staff for various politicians. I like that. I can't remember who it was who wrote on Tumblr. Again, I think it might have been Respect the Petty, who I love, but I'm not sure if it was her who wrote that ode to administrators. I did not see that post. Oh my God. Oh my God. That post is so good. It's actually talking about Pachani, who is Tin's mom, who is the principal, but it can also be applied to the student council. The whole thing about Pajani's story as you go through the show you expect it to be like the hard ass or the heavy or the villain against our boys or whatever and it turns out that she's just a really good administrator who cares about what she's doing who cares about her students who cares about making sure things work for them and it's the same kind of thing that you were just talking about about the student council they're not doing anything that's setting the world on fire they're not doing anything particularly interesting they are just making sure that the training run on time and that somebody cleans the toilets. That is literally what they do, but they treat it as important. And because they treat it as important, because they treat supporting their fellow students as important, you believe when Tin is like, I gotta do this, I'm gonna help Gun, and this is the way that I'm gonna do it. It's not just, okay, yeah, okay, you're on the student council, then what? You believe that the student council can actually help people. Tim has so much integrity about it. And I feel like that's why I love him so much. Like he could have gotten this position and then cheated and only helped gun out. But he's, he's got so much integrity that he does the job really well. Like the school's under pressure to not spend a lot of money wastefully. And in the process of trying to help Gunn, he manages to secure enough funds to send the school's orchestra to a performance in the Netherlands because they got invited because they had performed so well at a local event of some sort. And like, that's what I really love about him. Like it gets played as like a complication for his aspirations for Gunn. But I really like the reminder that even if Tim didn't necessarily want to do this job, he's actually really good at it and people trust him to do it. I think that's clearly shown in, I believe it's episode four, which is the school fair. There's a lot going on in episode four. It's an excellent episode. Actually, pause us, go watch episode four, and then come back. (laughs) (laughs) Just watch it again. Just just watch it again. If If you haven't watched it, watch it again. But one of the things that I love about episode four is the fact that you see Tin rejiggering the way that he works around things in real time. He's willing not just to listen when people suggest new things. The school council has this really boring idea for what their booth is going to be. Guns like, boo, that doesn't work. That sounds really boring. How about you do this instead? Tin listens to him, of course, because Tin has a crush on him. But then Tin listens to everybody else in the room as well. Tin is actually a good leader. 
And it's really shown in that episode through scenes like that. And then through scenes where Gunn essentially kicks himself out of the music club because he thinks that he's not a good leader for the club. And then this other kid could be a better leader. Tin kind of scoops him up and is like, okay, you like to sing. What are the things that you can do about singing that I can pull you in to do with the student council? So you still get to do what you love, but you're also helping out in a bigger way. The way that Tin comes up with ideas for these kinds of things, he is a good leader. He is a good administrator. He does care about helping people. It's not just about the way that he feels about gun. And I really like that. I really responded to that. Tin is one of my favorite characters in all of media. I do love him so much. However, Gun is my baby boy. He's Gun. such a difficult character to play. Forth talked about how it was a hard character for him to play. He describes Gun as almost a cartoon character because of how much energy is required to play him. And I also get why Fort says sometimes he would go home after a long day filming and just cry because of how difficult that character was. He's playing a character who is so fragile. Gunn is a great example of what we talk about when we talk about resilient characters. Resilient, but at what cost? Sure, Gunn is still cheerful and has his friends and they trust him and they rely upon him. But he himself is barely holding it together almost all the time. That comes through so clearly as we get to know him more and we see past the initial layers. Like, why does he dream so hard? Because it's how he keeps from succumbing to the darkness that grips him. And Forth plays that so convincingly as Gun. Like, every time we peel back a layer, on Gun, we just see just a really, really sad boy who misses his dad and wishes his mom didn't have to work so hard. Gun wouldn't be gone without Forth Natawat, and that kid is going places. I gotta Everybody... be honest, we started, we started this season, and I was like, I don't care about these new little boys. And I left the season convinced that Forth is the talent to watch right now. Borth is so consistent in this show. That's really what impresses me more than anything else. At no point am I ever really confused about Gun. Even his reticence when it comes to Tin is played in a way that's super believable without feeling like there's like a weird homophobic undertone to it. Very early on, we see that Gunn is curious about Tin, and Forth does a lot of really little things with the Gunn character. I think one of the fans captured it really well with the beach episode, when people keep running up on them and surprising them. Forth plays Gunn's initial surprise by moving closer to Tin and holding on to him, and then the second time, intentionally moving away from Tin. Or like when Tim grabs him on the beach and jokes about them getting married. Fourth, let's Gemini pull him towards him. And then like very lazily lets his whole body press against Gemini's. And that made me go, 
absolutely insane when I first watched this show. The two of them are insanely comfortable with each other, considering how young they are and how this is their really first outing with each other. And you can tell that the years of training they poured into Fourth and Gemini are paying back in dividends right now because the two of them understand the work that they're trying to accomplish in every scene they're together. They are consistently some of the strongest parts of the show. And you want to say that about a romance, that the two leads are consistently the most enjoyable parts to watch in the show. One of the things that I love about my school president is the strength of the ensemble as a whole. But Fourth and Gemini are very clearly the center of the show. And in a genre where sometimes side actors or supporting actors have pulled focus to have a central pair that is so strong, even as there are other storylines going on, even as there are other actors vying for your attention and they do get it. They never pull focus from the central couple. They never pull focus from Gun and Ten. They can't because they are the gravity of the entire show. They hold it together. Let's talk about Chinchilla. I remember writing what a lovely bunch of coconuts, and that's exactly how I feel about them. God They're so stupid. Them. Like They're they don't so have dumb. they don't have they don't have a brain cell. Like they are fully reliant on Tucson to help get them out of almost every problem they have because they're just so stupid. Oh my goodness. I love them so much. And it's like the stupid is gravitational because <laughs> when Satang's character, Saun, comes into the school in episode four, he hasn't He's been- stupid too. He hasn't been shooting with these guys in the gym. He comes in and he's just this outside character. He's like, yo, y'all are silly. And then by episode six, he's fully into the mess. Like he's dumb as the rest of them. It's the force of gravity. He's like, I love two like, sons <laughs> coming off. The stupidest generational in this band. <laughs> <laughs> it's legit. It's so funny. They're so dumb. And they're dumb in a believable teenage boy kind of way. They're not stupid just for the sake of being stupid. They are just genuinely just brainless. I adore them. I love poor so much. I love when they had to vote on a song to cover for the Hot Wave tournament and they couldn't decide. And so they put all of the songs in a hat and then they pull out Just Being Friendly by Tilly Birds and the whole band groans. And poor throws a mini fit. And he's like, no, we said we would pull it. We're going to do my song. (laughs) That's a good segue, actually, into one of the things that I loved most about My School President. And that's that it is the first BL musical from Thailand. Because we've had Rainbow Prince from the Philippines. I love that my school president is a sneaky musical because it they doesn't lead with lead. a song and I was already done. The music is all really, 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 really good. The singing is good. The performances are good. These boys learn to play instruments just well enough that they could look legit and probably actually play as a band on stage. Not a great band, but as a solid band. I I feel like that's part of the charm. The- like- They probably don't actually sound that good, but their hearts are just so big. 
I do like that. And I like that you get hints of that because, for example, Gunn's voice. Ford's voice is not some fantastic voice and they let Gunn's voice be Gunn's voice. It's not this great, oh my God, blown away by it voice. He's just a kid, as you said, he's just a kid who can kind of sing. But what Gunn has is that sparkle and... It makes you really enjoy. And you're talking about the Pami song, which is the first song that they actually play in university. Yeah, they cover Yak Rung Dang Dang. Yes. I think the English name for it is like, I want to shout out or something like that. Yeah, I want to scream out loud. That's the English name for it. So they do a mix of covers and original songs in the show. So it has the feeling of a jukebox musical. The original songs are really good. Let's be clear here. This is a fantastic show all around. We're going to talk about individual pieces here. We're not going to cover everything. This show from start to finish does not miss. At no point did I think this show hangs too long. The only thing was maybe I think the hot wave stuff as a motivating factor got a little tedious towards the end, but I didn't care because the hot wave stuff stops mattering for the major pathos of the show it leads us to where we need to go, even down to them losing. I thought that was the right choice because we get so much interesting character work out of watching Chinchilla lose again at the highest level. Not just lose, but lose after having had some success. The way that the momentum is going in the story, you start to think that maybe they could actually pull it off. So you, along with them, are so crushed when they lose. And then you just think about how they got everybody in the school so excited and everybody was really into what they were doing. And they felt, because this is a bunch of slacker losers, they felt like they were popular and cool for a minute because they were doing so well and then they lose it's poetry absolute poetry it's heartbreaking i really like how hard they leaned into how much it really affected them they're young this is their first really huge loss and it's played so expertly by these boys the whole cast does such a great job down to even Satang and Winnie's performance, Win becomes, he's always kind of abrasive, and he ends up turning on Gun in a confrontation that I think is my favorite in the whole show. You get the sense that all of these boys are each other's best friend, but they have a very different best friend relationship with each other. Gun and Win have always had each other's backs, and so for Win to turn on Gun. It hurts the most of all of the annoyances. And Forth grabs Winnie by the scruff and he puffs up his face. And there was some real anger there. And it's so convincing when you watch it in that fight they have on the cliffside. Win has been the most loyal. When you look back at the show, going back to episode four, which was a really important episode, when... Gun kicks himself out of the band, essentially, because he thinks that he's not a good leader. Wins the one who's just like, what's the point of us doing this without you? Wins the one who really believes in Gun. Everybody's friends, yes. But you feel like what Gun and Win have as a friendship is 
the strongest. So to it's have the strongest win, when it comes to the band, I think. So to have Win turn on Gun the way that he does in episode eleven, it doesn't happen for very long. But the fact that it happens at all, you feel that somewhere deep inside, it stings in a way. And I think everybody else in the band feels that too because. Wynn says it so many times right in Gunn's face and everybody's just silent when it's happening. They just can't believe that Wynn is saying these things to Gunn. And then it gets ugly and even sound turns on Wynn briefly in that moment. Yeah. Sounds like you can't say this. Like, what? I'll talk about some of <laughs> stuff now. Bad Buddy was critical of Yaoi tropes in a way that was a little bit subtle. Like in episode, I believe it's seven of Bad Buddy, they basically play on all the classic BL tropes as ways to flirt with each other. And it feels artificial, but it works well for me because the rituals don't matter to create the love and desire that exists between the two of them. They are useful to help them find a way to talk to each other. And what works so well for me in my school president is all of the trope stuff happens in the fictional space of Tin's imagination. And so much of this show is about letting go of these rituals and the artifice that surrounds them and being more earnest with each other. Just asking people questions like, what do you care about? What are the things that matter to you? Why do you like doing these things? And helping people the way that they want to be helped. And not necessarily trying to just push someone up against a wall and loom over them. And now we're supposed to accept that you two like each other. So much of the show is about getting Ten out of his own head. Even the beach episode, which I love, involves Ten staring wistfully into the distance and Gun plucking him on the head for zoning out on him again. Because he wants him to stay present. Don't dream about some other version of me. I'm right here next to you. This is more of Tin being a teenage boy. Who hasn't had that moment where you imagine yourself inside a movie or a music video or something while you're just living your life? I do also love how the use of daydreams in particular, and Tin's daydreams, they give so much character insight. In addition to being a device that they could use to throw in all the tropes and the killing moments that don't make any sense from a story perspective, but make sense. I did actually think that that was really clever. That was really, really clever. So much of the show involves Gun first not being aware of Tin's feelings, and then kind of keeping Ten at arm's length because he doesn't think he deserves it. He thinks Ten's pretty awesome and probably should be with someone else. So there's a lot of denial in the show. And so I really liked the fantasy bits because they gave the audience something to look forward to. Also, I want to play praise Gemini Norwit while we're here because he plays goofy teenage boy so well. Few things are more teenage boy than literally zoning out in a school meeting that you're with, with your mom, 
to imagine the boy you like in the shower with you with a comical amount of soap on his torso. <laughs> Ten is so horny for gun. It's just so hilarious. And he legitimately looks stupid for it. And I love Tucson always looking at him like he's stupid for it. It's so perfect. Are you sure this is it? This is, are you sure? Seriously, like, bro. Like, <laughs> I got your back, but are you absolutely certain? This kid is really dumb. Are you sure? <laughs> the whole runner of the non-kiss is a really cute runner. I think and somebody did a count on it. It was like 56 non-kisses in this show. That's something that would normally really annoy me. You know they're gonna kiss, so why all this bullshit about it? But it's really cute the way that they do it, because you understand why they won't do it. The time isn't right, or Tin suddenly got shy about the whole thing, or Gun suddenly got shy about the I thought you were about to say Tin got shot. That's how much you've ruined my brain. (laughs) No, but I also like that Tin can challenge Gun. Like, as much of a simp as he is... I really like that he just doesn't fold for anything that Gunn wants. Like, he did not agree with Gunn at all about how he wanted to handle Sound having a crush on Wynn. And he made that very clear to Gunn and actually physically intervened once. Like, when Wynn wanted to talk to Sound, he restrains Gunn from getting in the way and letting them sort their stuff out. I really like that about Ten. He's a simp, but he's not a pushover. When they're tutoring the boys and he's like, how did you get to 12th grade? I'm going to hit you. You're so dumb. The only two times we saw Ten get legitimately angry in this show were about math and homophobia. He's so valid for that. I'm going to talk a little bit about the songs and I'm going to talk about the covers. One of the things I like about the covers is how musically consistent they feel. If you go and listen to the original songs, these are very different songs and very different styles. But the way that they're arranged for the show, they all feel like they could be played by the same band and that that band is exactly what it says, which is like a brick poppy kind of band. So they amp up the synthesizer and they rejigger the songs in a particular kind of way. The palmy song and the silly fool song in particular when i heard the original of the silly fool song which is i think the english title is saliva which so silly fools but when you hear <laughs> true though <laughs> yeah when you hear the original version of the silly fool song because you hear it twice actually so you hear the original version of the well a straighter cover of the silly fool song is played by the seniors from chinchilla it's played in a flashback. And then you hear them rework that in the first episode, the arrangement of the song that they come up with. It's so completely different. It's got like these ska elements to it. It sounds like, hey, we're some high school kids who think this sounds like Britpop, so we're going to do it this way. (laughs) And it really, really works in that way. And that's how they've done all the covers. The covers sound like the instruments that they're playing, except people complain about the Silly Fool song, but I tell them that keyboards have all kinds of settings, including horn settings. You can play horns on a keyboard. Thank you very much. These kids 
with the resources they have, could believably play these songs and be entertaining playing these songs. And I love that about how they use the covers. I'm not going to start delving into music because then I'm going to be here all night. I love the covers that they did. I love the songs that they chose to cover. Ben talks about the Palmy song a lot. And that being the first song that they cover, it really pulls you into the show. Okay. What are our top, top, tops on this show? Top My top episode. I really think it's episode 12. I'm old. And one of the things that I love about episode 12 of My School President is it pushes the characters beyond the confines of BL. Like most of the BLs end as the characters enter the real world. I like that episode 12 places them very squarely in the real world, a world where people take pictures of you in public and post about you for content, where you don't get to enjoy your boyfriend in public without a bunch of strangers having something to say about that and wanting to affect your personal and professional career about it. And you're going to have to deal with people who you thought were supposed to be your mentors turning on you because they don't like that you're queer. It's not your job to fight all of these people. The world is only going to get better when our allies literally jump out of closets to punch homophobes in the face. And then our families, using what little privilege they have, stand in front of us and say, back off and don't ever touch my kid ever again. It isn't about whether or not Gun and Ten are willing to fight for each other. Like, we just spent 11 episodes watching that. The question is, are the rest of us going to fight for them? I just really love that this show, of all of the shows we've watched that are traditional in the sense that they're BLs, is demanding that we make the world a place where people like Gun and Ten and Sound and Win and maybe Two and Poor can enjoy their lives in peace. And if they don't, we'll punch them in the face for them. I love that. Also, there's Ten's dad, who was like, oh, geez, it's raining a little hard tonight. I guess he's going to have to stay here. Gotcha, son. <laughs> so your top episode is episode 12. Yours is episode eight, which is the hot wave preliminary. (laughs) I loved it unreservedly. At the time I wrote that it was probably the most perfect episode of television. It is the only episode where there's no new cover. There's no new song. Everything that we hear in episode eight is something that we've heard before, but it's amped up somehow and then it's a turning point in Tin and Gun's relationship as well. They've been in this, it's not a nebulous space. They're together, even if they're not calling it that at this point, but they're deepening their relationship. And this episode does a lot to deepen their relationship. And then the whole journey to Hot Wave, we've been hearing about Hot Wave now for seven episodes, and this is the first actual Hot Wave wave episode where we get to see them perform on stage for the competition and all the feelings that that brings up in both 
tin and gun, all of the stress that brings up within the band. I think I've mentioned before that I have a performing arts background. I was a weird theater kid in high school. I was a singer and a dancer. So for me, an episode that centered around rehearsal is my crack. I was expecting every single beat. Nothing came that I wasn't expecting. When you go into intense rehearsals, there are going to be fights. Somebody's going to call somebody out their name. Somebody (laughs) is going to say, you all suck. I'm going home. Somebody's going to get mad. Somebody's going to cry. Somebody's going to storm off. The fact that all that happens, it felt so real to me. They're in this pressure cooker where they're just rehearsing the same song over and over. And it just doesn't feel right. And people are starting to slap off because they're tired. Your best performer is playing hurt and not telling anyone about it. It's just this perfect stew. And then here comes the kid who keeps giving you shit, coming to try to bust bust your nuts. When you're just trying to get something done and you just really want to hit this kid because he's so fucking annoying. Is that the episode where where Kajoran almost got punched out? Yes. Fourth is so funny in that sequence. (laughs) Like, I was very surprised by how well he plays comedy, especially as part of an ensemble in this. Because the way he plays drunk with the rest of the Chinchilla Boys, you can tell they've worked really hard on the chemistry of their group. Because that scene is so good. Like, he's drunk, they're trying to hold him, he keeps flashing the I love you sign to Tim the whole time. It gets even funnier when you go back to that scene now, knowing that... Yo knows at this point that there's something going on between Tin and Gun. When you go back to that and you see that Yo is actually the one when he flashes the I love you sign, Yo is the one who grabs his hand and pulls him down. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's a really funny scene. And the whole episode, it's all these different highs and lows, the range of emotions throughout the episode culminating in that moment that Tin runs away from his mom, runs over to the hot wave competition and busts through the doors into the auditorium just as Gunn is about to start the bridge to just being friendly and Gunn sees him and his whole face lights up. I think they actually used a lighting trick as well because it's not just Fourth's expression that changes, but the whole scene becomes brighter at the same time. It is a magical moment in television. My favorite scene, I think, is in episode six, though. When they're filming the Just Being Friendly music video and they're in the apartment and they have to film the kissing bits. It's been super awkward because they've agreed that they're they're going to maintain the line of being friends. Gun is overcompensating for that, and Ten gets mad and leaves the room and says, "Friends don't do this." And then this leads to them having their first really their second really important poolside conversation. Mm -hmm. I love it so much. I like that Ten isn't going to accept affection from Gun 
under false pretenses. My top scene is, again, from episode eight. It's actually a much quieter scene. It is the scene where Gun can't sleep when they're sleeping over at the school the night before the competition. Because Gun can't sleep, Tin takes him for a walk around the school and they kind of turn it into a tour of the school at night. The reason that I love that scene is the inherent romance of being in a place that you're not supposed to be in at a particular time and the way that the place feels different just because you're in it when you're not supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. Before we wrap up, let's talk about Mark Pocket. <laughs> Tucson, I think, is one of the most clever characters they've ever created in Taibio because you need an audience insert character, particularly in fantastical things, so that the things that need to be said can be said. Tucson is there to do all of the things that the audience has always screamed at the TV for the characters to do. All the things we've demanded the characters like to just talk to each other. Stop being so weird. (laughs) His character gets to do that. He gets to nudge them along the way. And we get a better show as a result because the normal weeds that other shows get lost in, he just cuts out of the way with a machete. So, who are your MVPs? I think Tucson is the most valuable character for the reasons I just described. I don't think the show functions without him playing support to Tin and the rest of Chinchilla. And I think that's really important thematically for a show about supporting each other. He is also the best supporter. But I actually think in terms of sheer performance, it goes to fourth. It's so rare that we get to say that the romantic lead of a Tybiel was one of the most compelling parts of it. Also, he picked Gemini. And I know that's a little bit meta in terms of choosing an MVP. But at the age of 17, 18, recognizing certain things about himself and choosing a partner that he felt comfortable with and then delivering such a high level of work this early in their careers. It's fourth, not a lot. Most valuable actor on this particular production in a cast that I think is genuinely very good. So I 100% agree with you on the MVPs. No question to me. Two is the absolute MVP character because this show needs a straight man, pun intended. (laughs) It's so silly. It needs somebody to hold the center and Tucson does that. Tucson is the one that's looking around and saying, am I the only person seeing this shit? I love that. That's a necessary character. So Tucson is the MVP character. The MVP actor, man, it's got to be fourth. Not a lot. The show does not work without him doing the things that he does to bring Gun to life. Absolutely no question. He put his foot in this show. He really did. Forth has talked about how difficult this role was for him. I don't know if Forth or his team is ever going to hear this, but please know, sir, we appreciate 
all of the efforts you put into this. You did an amazing job. And I am very excited to see what you do next. That is going to wrap us up for this episode, our high school heartthrobs episode of the conversation. We've got a great lineup for you guys this spring, and that's because the winter was so bountiful. It blessed us so much. This has been me, and this has been Ben, and we out. Say bye to the people. Peace.